Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Social Justice, a conversation with me, Lana Weatherald, a third-year law student, and Professor Charles Stanton out of the Boyd School of Law here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Today, I want to discuss first and foremost and give, you know, all of the warmest, and I know thoughts and prayers are uh, bountiful these days, but to everybody out in Florida, um, I grew up in Tampa, spent the last 10 years um, between Tampa and Sarasota and uh, that community, especially Fort Myers, Sarasota, that area is completely devastated. Um, and, and I just want to give my my heart out to everybody that's there. Um, and, and I want to urge you, um, if you're not calling your Republican congressmen and senators um, and encouraging them that they should be voting yes on hurricane relief bills instead of no, uh, that, w- that would be much appreciated. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Governor Ron DeSantis, um, as well as Mark Marco Rubio uh, voted no um, for Hurricane Ian relief, um, citing that there was too much pork within the bill. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, there's pork in almost every legislative bill to some extent. Um, so to uh, feign that this is anything other than political posturing um, and keeping people from getting the aid that they so desperately need um, is disingenuous and I think terrible. Um, so my thoughts and my prayers and my hope that you can push your Republican congressmen and senators to be voting yes on these sort of things um, is the best I can sort of offer at this moment. And again, um, just my thoughts, my, my prayers, my love goes out to everybody in Fort Myers and Sarasota and Bradenton and all those areas in Florida. Um, so it's October now, guys. And, um, October, typically, uh, we think about wearing pink and we think about, uh, breast cancer awareness and we think about sort of what that means in raising money and what that means for helping people that are diagnosed um, with breast cancer. And I want to talk about it sort of in a different sense. So you might hear everybody wear pink to a football game. Everybody donate your $5 to Susan G. Komen, which if you don't know, do some independent research on what Susan G. Komen's really about. But I think um, we sort of miss the nuance in the conversations surrounding breast cancer and breast cancer research. Um, so there's been plenty of studies about sort of the disparities in care um, and disparities in treatment that that happens around, uh, you know, sort of as social uh, socioeconomic status stratifies. Uh, you see differences in sort of levels of success, difference in mortality rates. Um, for example, uh, this is a study in the early 2000s. So granted, uh, we have advanced a little bit, but not much. Um, once diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, just by virtue of being an African-American, you are 20 percent more likely to suffer a fatality from that stage four diagnosis than your white and even Hispanic counterparts. So I, I think it's it's interesting when we talk about breast cancer research that we, we don't talk about the disparities and we don't talk about where this funding is actually going and we don't talk about the people that actually become enrolled in these clinical trials. And uh, at risk of not letting Professor Stanton talk at all, I think we need to begin having a more nuanced conversation um, about disparities in research and about where this money's actually going and about how we can better address the needs of everybody that's suffering. Yeah, that's, it's interesting that you, you alluded to those things because there was a major article today about the black residents of Fort Myers, Florida. Atlanta alluded to health disparities regarding people of color. Um, I think it's, it's disparities across the board uh, you know, uh, the article in the paper today about the black residents of Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, the resignation that a lot of these people had about when 
actually aid was going to come to them, that they had previous uh, uh, disasters in that area, though not to the extent of this. And they always seemed to be the last people on the totem pole as far as government aid was concerned. And uh, I found it very interesting, you know, um, Lee County, of course, was very much devastated by this uh, uh, meteorological event. And it was interesting how apparently there was supposed to be a warning given to the Hmm. residents of Lee County uh, that was, for whatever reason, uh, delayed. Uh, And, of course, the delay may well have resulted in the cause of a lot of extra debts to the people who live there. And it was very interesting that the people who were in charge in the the police uh, uh, sheriff's department uh, basically were like very adamant about the fact that they had done everything right. (laughs) And um, it was it was almost like um, they were they were asking the people. uh, One of the guys was from CNN, like, uh, how dare you question me about uh, our procedures here? But he had every right to question him because certainly in the other parts of that near that area, uh, they were given a much earlier evacuation. Correct. Less than 24 hours notice for many in living in Lee County. Uh, as someone who has evacuated the state of Florida before, the infrastructure and the sort of planning and the sort of availability of space on those highways and back roads to get out is near impossible. Uh, imagine on less than 24 hours notice on top of that, on top of the fact that the city of Tampa, um, when, when the initial forecast came in, was sort of expected to be the, the vast majority of the, the damage and the hit. So you have all these people in a much more populous area in Hillsborough County and Pinellas County, right? They have all left. They're already on the roads. And then Lee County's 24 hours notice while the rest of the state is already on the road. I mean, just a nightmare. And the fact that they can't go back and admit that, hey, some wrong was done here. I believe, you know, Ron DeSantis said, uh, started to say and blame the people living there in Lee County. Oh, they didn't want to leave. The people in Lee County didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay. Come on. Yeah. Come on. On 24 hours notice? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's interesting because there has been a building boom in that area. Uh-huh. And this is one of the fascinating things about the state of Florida, <laughs> that there is, there is what I call a, uh, fanatical denialism absolutely about the fact that you cannot continue to build in areas where they are very prone to catastrophic floods yes and i have always i have always wondered how um building permits were issued to many of the communities in florida um about four or five years ago they had a a major article in the in uh, a vanity fair about the, the coming catastrophe in florida focusing in on Miami right. and how uh, there was a danger, right, really, of the whole place being completely flooded out. Um, I know a gentleman who lives in the Brickell area of Miami uh, Beach, and uh, he lost everything in the last, in the last major storm. Uh, but it is, it is uh, I suppose, about money, isn't it? That right. you know, I mean, if they're willing to pay the insurance premiums, if they're willing to pay for the flood insurance, right. you know, they're going to keep building. And like you say, if building codes are allowing these places to be brought up and we're talking 20, 30, 40 story buildings on Tampa right, right outside of the bay. Uh, you know, this is not surprising. It's money driven. Absolutely. 100 yeah. percent. You hit the nail on the head. And of course, you know, this is not long after, you know, the, the catastrophe in Miami Beach where the condo collapsed. Collapsed. Right. And, of course, 
um, they don't have even the inspectors to, to examine so, yeah. these buildings. So you have climate, you have lack of, lack of funds, you have lack of proper inspection. Right. And, um, you know, you wonder, like, who's, who's running the state government down there? <laughs> Who actually enforces these rules? Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the answer is kind of obvious. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, right. 100%. So, so, so that's, you know, how we, we, we began our show today. Um, a very fascinating article in, in, in today's New York Times having to do with the Uber and the um, car service and their uh, response to sexual assault claims. And apparently Uber has a procedure where uh, they don't really go to the police in matters like this. They take in these complaints and they basically, uh, you know, deal with them on their, on their own, uh, uh, with their own uh, investigators. Uh, and in the city of San Jose, of course, um, they have uh, th- those particular cases, very few of them, if ever, are, are, are reported to the police. And uh, it's a kind of an interesting way of, of uh, I would say, suppressing the truth because uh, it's sort of modeled off uh, the Catholic Church's uh, uh, procedures for a long, long time where people would come to uh, the diocese and uh, uh, the thing would get covered up and the priest would get transferred and then the priest would get transferred again and the priest would get transferred again. Um, but it was, never made a, uh, it was never made a law enforcement priority. So I think that's kind of disturbing. And, it, you know, it really, it really ties into, I think, uh, the way women are treated in this country uh, regarding sexual assault and sexual abuse. Um, there was a major article uh, in the USA Today uh, about the, uh, the Women's Professional Soccer League and uh, how prevalent these, these uh, claims are against people who are coaches and on the staff of these different teams. And this is, this is not the first article that USA Today has had. They've had a whole bunch of articles, um, not just covering women's soccer, but covering a, a number of the other professions and other sports. Um, and it, it is a very, uh, you know, um, speaking as a man, but, but trying to be as, as, as uh, fair-minded as I can be, uh, it's almost like women who, who uh, go into uh, these different athletic uh, 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 sports uh, are taking their own health into, into their, uh, taking their own health, putting their own health at risk, basically, because there doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, an enforcement procedure uh, for uh, those coaches and those uh, uh, team officials who, uh, you know, uh, uh, violate women and uh, get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the problem is um, you don't want to be the one. You don't want to be the pariah. You do not want to. It is so hard for women already to get the same level of, you know, attention, but more so uh, just mass marketing deals, um, sort of placements in, in major in major leagues, right? The w, Nobody cares about the WNBA. And even if you make it, you're not getting paid. I mean, just women's sports by and large is so hard to break through. It's so hard to become a superstar. You can name very few female athletic superstars, right? So to already have, I mean, an 
almost insurmountable challenge to reach the pinnacle of athletic success as a woman to then have to be the one to then have to say, this is what's going on. It happened to me. You do not want to be the pariah as sick and as horrible as that sounds. um, Becoming someone that speaks up against sexual sexual harassment ultimately becomes uh, makes you black sheep. It it makes you someone that's outcasted. It makes you the, you know, the one that opened her mouth. Look at Michael Sam in the NFL. Right. So and, and he wasn't even a woman. I think you just you women are put in this horrible situation where they if they do speak it's horrible and if they don't speak it's horrible it's between a rock and a hard place right um do you want to jeopardize your own career to help save you know the potential million girls behind you mm. or like what happened with uber are they just mm. going to give you hush money regardless yeah. uh, I, I just think um th- there is no good answer and for me to pretend like i i could tell all girls oh, you got to report this stuff or we and even if there were wholesale administrative changes and how we report and how we handle sexual abuse. I I don't believe the incentive is sometimes outweighs the punishment that women receive for reporting these things. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think that's absolutely true. I think that, um, um, the Dr. Blasey Ford, uh, case regarding, uh, uh, justice Kavanaugh is a perfect example of that. hundred percent. And, and, and proceeding that with Anita Hill, um, there is almost like a higher standard of proof yes. that a woman has to present to to even get a hearing. And I can imagine, I can imagine a young woman or, or any woman who was uh, up for a Supreme Court judge, judgeship or, or, or other promotion uh, who saw those two uh, confirmation hearings. Correct. And you, you would have to be very, very leery of, of going up there because... You're not going to you're not going to get an independent, uh, unbiased no. uh, 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 hearing from the people on the committee, right? Uh, because the, the, the priority uh, is uh, that the person be confirmed. That is the priority, and anything that stands in the way of that priority um, has to be removed. Uh, but when I watched, you know, you know, a number of years ago when I watched Anita Hill and um, also when I watched Dr. Ford, um, they were both compelling witnesses. I mean, you know, n- n- no one, no one, I, I, I always like to say nobody but God and the two people themselves know That's actually what happened that, the, on, on those occasions. But uh, Dr. Ford made a compelling case. Absolutely. And uh, the way that what was interesting was how um, none of the uh, male members of the committee actually questioned Dr. Ford. Right. They they uh, immunized themselves by getting a, a woman to question her, um, in a sense, to sort of um, you know bring her down, if you want to put it right. that way. And and not to seem crass, but this was a woman that, uh, a woman of stature. This mm. is a woman that was incredibly articulate. This mm. is a woman who had advanced very far in her career. This was a woman who, you know, had stature in her community. And it's still not that who you are makes you more believable, but a fact that a woman of that level of credence could not even be considered believable, mm. let alone sympathetic. Uh, Mind boggling. Yeah. And, 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 a, and a symptom of a disease in this country where we do not trust, believe, or want to provide support, sympathy, or empathy for our women. Um, no, no. But it, we've seen that time and time again, and we've seen it now, and it, it's extreme. So I'm, I, mean, I don't know why I'm shocked. I'm, I'm really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, 
it, it's 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 in, as 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 a man just looking at it from my perspective, uh, it's a lack of respect. I mm-hmm. think. Um, I think it ties into abortion. I think it ties into a lot of things um, that a woman's voice, a woman's uh, uh, autonomy, a woman's uh, sense of uh, 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 being respected and being treated in a certain manner um, does not occur to a lot of forces in our country. Um, And I think we're we're going to see hopefully a very positive response from women in November. Let's hope. Let's hope, yeah, because uh, it, it's not just a crucial election. It really is a statement about what people are willing to put up with or, or not willing to put up with at this point. Yeah. You know. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I will add one final piece on that Uber thing. Um, a lot of people don't know this, and I think in, in our capacity as legal professionals, it's sort of a, a good thing to tell you that when you sign up for these apps like Uber and Lyft, and especially where civil trials are concerned, um, you are often agreeing to the terms and conditions none of us ever read and scroll right by, um, that you are not allowed to bring a case like that to trial. I'm going to try to put this in a, as le- the least amount of legalese as I possibly can. But uh, many times, if not almost all the time, these corporations will force you into mediation or arbitration, um, oftentimes with the arbitrator or mediator um, of their choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same level of protections that you get in the typical justice in the typical court of law are, are not really available to you um, in arbitration and mediation necessarily. Uh, so do be careful um, when you're reading terms and agreements and you're agreeing to just use these apps. Um, when something serious really does happen and something can come up, uh, you can be caught between a rock and a hard place legally um, because mm-hmm. this is for something as simple as hitting agree. So I, you know, uh, <laughs> here's the lawyer telling you to be sure you're reading what you're signing and agreeing to um, because those things could have real life implications, especially if you're a woman and you're trying to stay safe and newer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think also though, uh, from the criminal point of view, uh, if you came to somebody there with uh, a justifiable uh, 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 complaint, uh, I think it should be taken much more seriously yeah. than they do. I, I think that, that's one of the problems that you have, uh, which is this lack of belief problem. Right. Or, 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 or it's that they don't care. Right. It's a big business. We need our drivers. It's easier to pay it off. It's yep. easy to, it's easy to pay off. Sure. Absolutely. You know, but, uh, so, so, so that's, so that's, you know, you know, news of the, the, the news of the day, I guess, is that, uh, the, um, ex-president has appealed to the Supreme court to uh, apparently uh, withhold or restrain, or how can I put it, the Justice Department from uh, continuing their uh, 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 investigation. Uh, apparently, uh, from what we understand, uh, to declare, to have the Supreme Court declare that the uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals did not have jurisdiction I mean. over, over, this, uh, over this judge uh, in, in their own in their own home state, uh, stay yeah. home there in their own home state. Um, Obscene. But, but we it's all but a kangaroo court, in my humble opinion, as it stands right now. Mm. Uh, 20 years ago, we would be laughing at this very idea. Egregious. We would be thinking that the ex-president is, I mean, who is his legal advice, right? I mean, how could this possibly be? Now, Professor Stan, I am not positive that this, again, kangaroo court would not Grant him exactly what he's asking for and remove this. Truly. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm, I don't, you know, from a legal point of view, you know, in, in, in trying to analyze this, um, the, uh, the appointment of the special master in and of itself was... Dubious at best. Dubious at best, or you could say unprecedented. But okay, so each, each side could nominate two people. So one of the, one of the gentlemen who was nominated by the uh, uh, ex-president uh, was, was okay with the uh, 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 Justice Department because the man had, had much experience. Right. You know, do, being a special master, he had the, he had the security clearance that very few people have. It was highly knowledgeable. Okay, the guy the guy gets ready to go to work. He's doing what he has to do, right. and uh, you pick the guy. You pick the guy, <laughs> and then his his sin is his efficiency. Right. That he's so quick. Wants him so quick. He yeah. Want, he get, wants to get this thing streamlined and get it done. All the rest of it stuff. And now, and now that's that's an obstacle. Right. That he's competent, um, you know. It, it's, it's God forbid. It's interesting, and and of course, you know, of course now, of course, um, the the the, uh, uh, the plea or the brief or whatever you want to call it was presented to Justice Thomas. So the question is, is Justice Thomas on his own do anything, uh, or would he would he uh, or dismiss it or then bring it to the full court? Um, and we're seeing now, of course, the testimony before the uh, 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 House Committee of Justice Thomas's wife, mm. which is which still is still denying the election for which, those of you who don't know, which is which is which is denying the election. And of course, when you think about that, you know, whether whether you're a man or a woman, whether your husband is on the Supreme Court or, or, not, your, or your right. wife is on the Supreme Court. A bell should go off in your head <laughs> and say, listen, you know, I have very strong feelings about the election. I, you know, I, I may feel a certain way, but as my spouse is on the court and he may have to hear some of these cases, I have to, you know, sort of act in a certain dignified way that I cannot, you know, actually be involved in basically saying that the election were, or that the election was, 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 was invalid when that case may well go before my husband Correct. T- to decide. And then, of course, you have the, the whole other issue. Uh, if that's the case, is it a conflict of, of interest, interest yeah, right. for, the, for, the, for, the, for Justice Thomas to, uh, uh, um, you know, even hear such a case? Right. You know, but I, I think in the, I, I can't just I just can't uh, 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 drop an anvil on Justice Thomas because uh, in one of my classes last year, there was a major story about uh, the federal bench and uh, how many of the uh, federal judges had heard cases. I think it was like a third almost where they were financially interested hmm. in the the outcome of the case, wow. and just coincidentally, in the vast majority of those cases, they ruled for the uh, they ruled for the side that they had the financial interest, had, the had, financial had, stake. In. Had, yeah, imagine they, that they had wampum at stake. So, well, that's no different from our congressmen or our senators either, is it? Well, that's. I'm glad that you brought that up, Lana, because that bill that was supposed to sail through the Congress. Yeah. Has had hit a hit a roadblock. Sure a, did. A fork in the road, <laughs> <laughs> a hole, and now all of a sudden, 
you know, we have to look at it again and there's all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, but it's money, though. It's money. You see, I think what a lot of people are missing and what's sad in the country is we have this division between, you know, MAGA and liberal and Antifa right. and all these different groups. Really, we're all getting hosed. We're <laughs> all getting hosed. Right, across the board. Across the board because... because we always should ask, who are these people serving? Right. Who does the Congress serve? We, they are elected officials. Right. And we don't seem to be getting much of a return on our money. At all. You know, and then you have people who are, you know, uh, uh, serving in the Congress and they leave the Congress to work for a lobbying firm. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, uh, that's one of the th one of the major changes I think they should make in, in the law is there should be a there should be a disqualification or a long term before anybody can lobby leaving either leaving the house of representatives or leaving the senate right i think we need to do that and um there's no appetite for them to do it no you know that's the other thing right I, I mean, it would take, you know, a wholesale admittance that this is what's going on. It would take a wholesale admittance that this is pervasive and that there's that much might. Because I think, you know, to talk to the average day American and say, oh, there's corruption in politics. Oh, they're all taking bribes and they're all taken is not shocking. Right. But mm. to understand the scope yeah. in which these congressmen, these senators are and this is these are massive, massive stock mm. breaks that they are getting. Yeah. I mean, they are shorting stocks at yeah. the right mm. time. They are investing in stocks yeah. at the right time to the tune of money that is sort of incomprehensible to everyday sure. people. Um, and this is this is not just one or two or three bad seeds. This is pervasive right. in, in, in our, you know, in our yeah. institutions. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's just key for people to understand, like, not only is this going on, it's going on to a scale that is near unimaginable. Um, and, yeah. and we have to we there will always be incentives to play dirty politics if the money's always there. Yeah. Um, yeah, just no. fundamentally. It, it, it's it's gotten worse, I think, though. Absolutely. I think I think one of the things that happened in the country, um, in, in my experience anyway, um, you've always had greed. You've always had people trying to, uh, you know, get extra more than they should. Right. But I think the greed today is more unvarnished. It's not subtle even. Yep. It's just everybody grabbing for whatever they can I get. Um, and there doesn't seem to be um, any force in either political party to really try to rein it in. Uh, and that's why I think people are so disillusioned. Right. I think there was, a, I think there were, there were reasons why uh, um, the ex-president did as well as he did. Yeah. I think a lot of people was, were just so turned off by politics. And, and he was uh, the antithesis to, he, to, po to politics. He, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. spoke in a way that they had never heard a politician right. speak before. Yeah. He behaved in a way that reminded them of their friends or their coworkers or, right. and not necessarily the people that they saw standing behind the podium. Right. He just represented something, like you say, very different from yeah. the system that had effectively, like you said, hit us all across the board, had right. kept all of us down in some way, shape or form. Right. Uh, so I. I I always say I understand Trump and I, I, I get why he happened. And I think, you know, we've touched on it here when you're so sick of seeing the exact same yeah. things over and over and over again. And he offered some rather real or imagined respite. Yeah, that's what you're going to that's what they're going to vote for. And I think I think, too, that in, in many ways, we're a reality television society. Yes. I've said yes. this, you know, before and I've said it in my class. Uh, if you look at the uh, 
top 20 programs, the Nielsen ratings. Look at, look at the programs that are there. It's, it's, uh, it's The Bachelor. It's The Bachelorette. It's uh, The House Rives of Belarusia. Right. It's uh, Naked the, and Afraid. So, right. Crassness sells, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 sort of the virality thing that we see comes from people being out of control, being out of the norm. Things that mm-hmm. are shocking and things that are, uh, you know, qu- quick to take us out of uh, just the mundane mm-hmm. uh, crap that we've been dealing yeah. with for years now. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it, it, to see something bright, shiny and wild, which is mm-hmm. what Trump was and what much yeah. of reality television yeah. and TikTok and Twitter, it all is, is just yeah. bright, shiny and wild. Yeah. Um, that's that's exciting for people. Right. And that's something that, you know, uh, I, I think could happen again. And let's hope it does not. So I think we need to be very careful about right. um, trying to make politicians into something they're not. I think there's a reason politicians yeah. have been boring for so many years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, too, that um, it's fed uh, the need for sensationalism. Uh, many years ago, there was a Billy Wilder movie um, called Ace in the Hole with Kirk Douglas. And he's he's marooned in this town in yeah. Arizona, and um, they're going to a rattlesnake hunt. And uh, they, he asked the man why they're going to the rattlesnake hunt. He says, "Oh, he says it's a custom here. Everybody likes to see the rattlesnake being hunted." And Kirk Douglas, the character he plays, uh, he says, "Good news is no news. Good <laughs> I, news is no yeah. news." And you I know, agree. like you'll see, whether it's the cable or the regular networks. Uh, family values are not a priority. <laughs> I, I would absolutely, and then not to end on such a terrible note, but I would absolutely agree with you. I think um, we've sort of moved away from, uh, and moving away from traditional values in a sense is good, but sometimes uh, you need to rein it in, right? Absolutely. Um, so with that, uh, no news is good news. Unfortunately, we had a lot of it today, but thank you for tuning in. And uh, we just want to um, invite you guys to always send us some questions. Um, that's charles.stanton at nevada.edu or w-e-t-h-e-l-1 at unlv.nevada.edu. We're happy to answer any questions live on air you may have about our program. And we thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at nevada.unlv.edu. Or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's Charles.Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N at unlv.edu. See you next time. time.